Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. The Lord Jesus is king, and he has come into this world to save you. He was born of the same flesh that you have, and the same blood that flows through you flowed through him. But he was set apart as the royal seed of David that would be the king forever and ever. In coming as king, he would put all of his enemies, and even our enemies, under his feet. And the very means by which he crushed his enemies would lead to him being crushed himself. But through his death, you have been saved. Through his death, you have been given life. The king of kings laid down his life for you, which means that the king of kings was born to give life to you. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 67. Hear the word of the Lord. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We'll turn next to Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there, might, there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was, no long, there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, 
the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Let's turn now to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all the ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father 
and from the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, that is, universal and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, having received the forgiveness of sin and having been invited to draw near into the throne room of God with Jesus seated at your right hand in a body, human, one of us, we now come to hold fast to the confession, which is our hope. We don't want to waver because your promises are yes and amen. And we thank you that you did send the second person of the triune God to become man, that he might die for our sin, that he might propitiate your just wrath against us, that he might rise from the dead and guarantee that we too will rise from the dead. And we thank you that he is seated at your right hand, and there, from there, he reigns over his kingdom across this earth. And we thank you that you have brought us into your kingdom through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have enlisted us as many Adams to spread the gospel through the whole earth to see this earth transformed into a place of righteousness and peace and justice forevermore. Lord, as we come in the last study of what we call the Lord's Prayer, please teach us and make us people of prayer. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we do come to the last petition in the Lord's Prayer this morning. And... uh, We'll start off by a little different method, if I can find my place here. Luke writes this, speaking of what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded has demanded permission to sift you. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Something very similar is said of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we have not, excuse me, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. The last petition of the Lord's Prayer is a strange petition. People approach it, oh, just a little bit differently because it seems a little odd. Lead us not into temptation. So D.A. Carson says that is a figure of speech called the litotes. A litotes means you affirm one thing to accentuate the other thing. Lead us not into temptation would then mean lead us far away from temptation and deliver us from evil. I respect D.A. Carson. I think in this case he's not correct. But of course it's true. Caleb taught us out of the book of James. God himself cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. He is not trying to lead us into sin. The case is, however, that this word temptation is a word that can be translated as trial or as temptation. It uh, has to do with something toilsome. That's the base root of the word. And, of course, God does lead us into trials. He takes us through trials. And we learned in James, this is for our benefit. So that our faith might become a faith that is lacking in nothing. So, would we pray, lead us not into trial, but deliver us from evil? That would be an appropriate translation. It does seem that that is somewhat the way the Lord himself uh, might have used the prayer in the Garden of, Sem uh, of Gethsemane. For he said, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Lead me not into this testing. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples, the three that were the closest to him, the three that were a stone's throw away, the others weren't as close, fell asleep. And Jesus returned three times to speak with them, found them sleeping, 
And he urged them to watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Well, now, I don't know about you, but uh, temptation is something that comes, I would assume, to all of us frequently. So we can be tempted and not fall into it, not give into it. But Jesus, probably in the Garden of Gethsemane, was speaking about something specific. And it had to do with the period of time in which the apostles lived. They lived at the consummation of the ages. And we'll see this in just a minute in 1 Corinthians. Where the ages, well, it's, it's, it's two words, ages, plural, ages, eons. And it's a word, teleos, which means the end or the goal. And uh, if we think about ages in the Bible, there are two ages. That doesn't mean there aren't more, but there are two that uh, the Bible gives itself to. And the first age we would call the age of Israel. And the age of Israel runs uh, so roughly from Abraham all the way down to Jesus' day and past Jesus' ascension to A.D. 70 as the nation is developed and brought all the way down to the end. And in A.D. 70, it is just absolutely decimated. The temple's gone. Many, many, many people killed. And... Jews did not exist as a nation until 1948 when people got all excited. Ah, well, the Lord's going to return, and we've all passed through that stage. The Lord is going to return. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But we passed through the time when people thought they could figure out just when it's going to be. It's going to be a generation, so it'll be 40 years. And so 1988, everybody got all excited, and then, then adjustments had to be made, and it was 1989, and more adjustments had to be made, and they're still being made. A second age began when Jesus came, and it's the Messianic age. And it began at his birth, and that age extends all the way down to the resurrection of the dead. And these two ages overlap from A.D. 30 to A.D. 70. This is the context in which the Lord's Prayer is given. And so, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what Jesus was concerned about was what he was concerned about. I mean, his own personal struggle, wrestling, I don't want this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He is at the greatest point of his test, going to the cross and becoming sin for sinners like you and me, becoming the sin offering, taking in his person by imputation your sin, your every sin, and my sin, my every sin, and all the sin of his people. 
and he experienced God's wrath, and he experienced separation from his father, and he said, if it's possible, take this come from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it was so much of a struggle that his sweat became like drops of blood, and angels were sent to strengthen him. The disciples are asleep. There's an hour of temptation coming. It's called the great tribulation that you find in Matthew 24. Now, the word tribulation in Matthew 24 is not the same word as we're talking about, but they are uh, somewhat synonyms. And so when Jesus says, watch and pray, lest you come into the temptation." I think uh, one of our British writers is correct when he says, no, no, that has to do with the great tribulation because it's going to come upon the church and are they going to stand the test and not give way to sin? So if you just think about reading through the book of Matthew, we're told in several places how awful it's going to be so that people will turn father, mother, children, all kinds of people over to the authorities to try to save their own necks. Mother will give up daughter, and father will give up son, and son-in-law will give up father-in-law. And the one who endures to the end will be saved. That is what this prayer is about. Now, of course... It's that big scope that narrows down to our little problems every day and our life right now. But in the context of the kingdom, it's looking to that one spot where life is going to be so rough, so troublesome, people are going to want to deny Christ to save their life. Watch and pray, lest you come into the temptation. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I want to make some, some observations and then we will move on. Matthew chapter 6, and we are looking at verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, now, there are two sections to the prayer. One has to do with God's stuff. The other has to do with man's stuff. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
on man's side. Give us our daily bread, forgive our debts, and deliver us from evil. If you just look at the prayer, just broadly then, it has these concerns. Devotion to God, dependence upon God, and danger. There's danger afoot. So, we sometimes forget because, you know, we live in fairly easy times that we're in a war. And it's the war of one kingdom against all other kingdoms. And the kingdoms become the kingdoms of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in a war. And in this war, there are two main Figures. One over here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as God, his name is to be hallowed. And over here is Satan, the evil one who's opposed to Jesus Christ. Of course, he's been defeated at the cross. He's been cast out of heaven. We read it this morning in Revelation chapter 12. The woman gave birth, the child's taken up, and when the child goes up, out goes Satan. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, Satan had no more access to heaven. Whereas in the book of Job, you see he has access to heaven. And we're assured that uh, Satan's been cast down in John chapter 2, I mean 12, verse 31. Judgment is coming upon the ruler over this age, and he will be cast down. And Jesus is going to be lifted up, and he's lifted up in stages. First, he's lifted up at the cross, then he's buried, and he's lifted up to life, and then he's lifted up to heaven. So Satan has been defeated. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 tells us all of the enemies have been defeated. But it's like after World War II ended, uh, the war's over, but there's still people fighting. And in this case, Satan is fighting, and now he's been cast down to the earth, and we are his enemies. He wants to trip us up. And so when you come to this, uh, this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, this shows you we possess not enough strength ourselves. We need help. There's danger. And Satan is deceptive and scheming and powerful. And we can't see him. We can only see the effects of what he does. So notice then that the prayer... The prayer, the prayer is a daily prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many times do you get up in the morning and say, you know, I, 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 I know myself. I'm a little weak. And uh, I can be tempted and think, you know, this isn't right. But then I, I do it anyway. How many people get up in the morning and say, 
Father, don't leave me into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. This prayer is a daily prayer, and it's a corporate prayer. It's an individual prayer. It's a prayer, though, that has all the aspects of what prayer should be. First, we talk to God, hallowed be thy name. And what we want as Christians is his kingdom. Well, his kingdom, his kingdom started when? It started at the tree. When he was hung up and crowned with a crown of thorns and had a placard above him that said, Jesus, the king of the Jews, he was, he was crowned king. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And God said, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So we're people of the kingdom. But we know, even though the kingdom has come and we live in the kingdom, we live in the kingdom of the United States also, but we live in the kingdom that is a heavenly kingdom by which we do not mean uh, it doesn't belong on the earth. It does belong on the earth. That's the place it is. That's the place it will be. But it's a kingdom that is sourced in heaven. That's where our king is. But our king will come back raise the dead, and then this whole globe will be spread about with an innumerable company of people that will not be counted. I don't mean you couldn't count them. It's just, it's huge. Whom Christ has saved. So we live in this kingdom, and we see there's trouble in this kingdom. So the petition itself tells us there's trouble because we want deliverance from evil. So, let me just uh, give you some things to think about. The first thing is, as I said, lead us not into temptation. Now, if we translate it trial, which is legitimate, that's how you translate it in James chapter 1, where we, we're to count it all joy when we come into various trials, that's where the way we translate it in 1 Peter chapter 1, where we talk about, even though right now the testing, the trial of your faith, you've got lots of trials, it's more precious than gold. We translate it that way there. When we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, we translate it that way, except when Satan meets him out in the wilderness. There we translate it temptation. So you can translate it several, I mean, in, in two directions. But let's, uh, let's remember, whatever's going on in the world, God has his purpose and Satan has his purpose. Now, he can't do anything on his own. He's, uh, he, he's following after what God's up to and what he's trying to do is make a mess of what God's up to. So you, 
enter some trouble, a trial comes in your family or your life or something like that, where does that trial come from? Well, that trial comes from God. And God is using that trial to make you stronger, to help you grow, to strengthen you up as a Christian. But Satan's going to come along in that trial, and he is going to tempt you to sin. Well, is it fair then to pray, lead us not into trial? And the answer is yes. How so? Well, trials are not something we seek out, are they? And when it comes to trouble, we know that there's an adversary lurking to make life difficult and try to lead us into sin. And so we pray, lead us not into trial. Jesus said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. That's one thing. Another thing is, when trials come, if we have much of a brain, we know the kind of people that we are, that we're weak. And uh, if things get tough enough, we get sinful. So God's purpose is to strengthen us, but Satan's purpose is to tempt us. And we know from the inside that our hearts are full of evil You know, we live in a culture that's worried about what we put in our mouths because it goes to our waistline. But God's not so worried about that. No, what God's worried about is what comes out of our mouth. And when trials come, that stuff comes out, oh, far too easily. And so we pray. Lead us not into temptation. I'm going to give you five thoughts from the Anglican Book of Prayer. Now, first off, I'm not Anglican. And second off, this book wasn't written last year. This is old. So keep it in context. This is what's in the book of prayer about the trouble with ourselves and testing. So at the end, what it's going to say is, deliver us from this, deliver us from this. But here comes this list of what to deliver us from. There are five five different points. From sin, from the craftiness and assaults, of the devil. That's number one. Two, from all blindness of heart, from pride, from vain glory, from, uh, from hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, and 
all uncharitableness. That's number two. From fornication and all other deadly sin. Well, nobody thinks fornication is deadly today, apparently. From fornication and all other deadly sin. And from all the crafts, uh, craftiness of the world and the flesh and the devil. That's number three. Number four. From sudden, and then what it is parenthetically, unexpected and unprepared for, close parenthesis, death. That is, from sudden death. You go to the doctor, and tomorrow you find out you got cancer and you have one month to live. Deliver us from that. From uh, hardness of heart and contempt for thy word and commandments, God, uh, thy words and commandments, good Lord, deliver us. So, yeah, when we, when we pray, <laughs> most of us maybe don't think of it in the context of the Lord's Prayer, but when we pray, we do pray. We don't pray, deliver us from trial. We pray, Lord, this is what I want, this, this, and this. And it's pretty much always the good things of life, right? Nobody's saying, okay, Lord, uh, give me cancer so that I can grow in my faith. This is a serious prayer, though, isn't it? Evil. Deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now, probably in the context of the prayer, because of the masculine article and ending of the word evil, probably we are to think of this as the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. But uh, evil and the evil one go hand in hand, so it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But uh, th this evilness, then, is something that we need delivering from. And as I said, it's, it comes from the inside. Satan hasn't put all that in me. I have it there by nature, and I store it up there, and the evil treasure of my heart spouts it out at the wrong time and under certain conditions, and the prayer is, deliver me from that. But there's not just moral evil like you would find in Matthew 15 and Mark chapter 7 where Jesus says. It's not what goes into a person that defiles a person. It's what comes out of his heart. And it's adulteries and fornications and thefts and all that good stuff. Well, that bad stuff, I should say. But evil is also... A hurricane, right? It's not morally evil. But you see, that's the problem in, uh, in Greek and Hebrew. The word for evil is the word for bad. The word for evil is the word for calamity. And so in uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 8, I believe it is, it, the Lord says, 
I'm the one who makes peace, and I'm the one who creates evil. Well, we don't translate it that way today. We translate it calamity. And so all around this world, there's all kinds of stuff that is bad. We wouldn't want it. And if we come into the midst of it, for example, if a tornado came through your neighborhood and tore down your house and flew your cars away and put you in the hospital, you would say, that's bad. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. This is a daily prayer. This is a prayer that's to be prayed not just for ourselves in our closet in devotion where we put the word I in instead of the plural our Father and us. We would say my Father and uh, me, but the prayer is plural, which tells us that it's a daily prayer not only for me, but also for me for you, and for you, for me, that is. This is an inspired prayer. Some people say, well, you know, it's just too rote. You say it every day, it's rote. Is that really true? Wouldn't be able to sing a psalm, would you? Which is a prayer. If it's just rote, because you can just, you know, here, here uh, after, the, after the cup, we're going to sing Psalm 148. And I noticed at the wrong time this morning, that is not the psalm I should have chosen. And then I figured, well, if I changed it now, Charlie Foster would probably cut my legs off, so I won't change it. We should have been singing Psalm 72 because Psalm 72 is a messianic psalm about the greatness and the grandeur of the kingdom when everything is done right. It's a prophecy. We should be singing that one. Well, you can go home and read it. But you see, this last petition is, it, it, it hits home. I mean, all of them hit home. But, but here we are. Here we struggle. And God says, okay, trust me. You come to me, you tell me. I, I don't want this trial. But like Jesus, we might quickly add and should add, but not my will, thine be done. But it's just and right to pray, Father, Deliver me, rescue me from evil or the evil one. I, 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 I can't express it well enough. This last petition, Jesus has included when, to his disciples in teaching them to pray. And if Jesus is saying, pray this, then the presumption is this is the will of the Father. 
and this is what he will answer. Give us our daily bread. Answer. Of course, you know, we have too much daily bread in our culture. Forgive us our debts. He answers. We believe that one. And we live in such luxury that daily bread doesn't tend to be an issue with us. But this last petition, lead us not into temptation. Instead, deliver us from evil, from the evil one. I was thinking about that this morning and uh, considering my last week and thinking, you know, I should have been praying this every morning. At the end of the prayer, we have a doxology. And the doxology is not found in what's called the best manuscripts. If you are using a King James or a New King James, I'm guessing they don't have that in parentheses. If you're using a newer translation, my edition has it in parentheses which is an old edition of the New American Standard. The newer editions may not even have it in there. You might have to look at it in the footnotes. But, of course, that would be a rather abrupt ending for the prayer, wouldn't it? Our fall, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Boom, done. So, uh, whether this uh, is actually what Jesus said, well, that is a question. But it's like what Jesus said, and it's been accepted by the church from the earliest centuries. It didn't take too long. And when we talk about best manuscripts, we're talking about manuscripts that are old, but not really you know, they're, they're still all a hundred years past the records we have when Jesus said it. So it's a little hard, but it is the way you would think a prayer would end, and it's appropriate because this is the way David prayed in First Chronicles 29, and this is the way Nebuchadnezzar uh, confessed in Daniel chapter 4, and this becomes the motivation for the prayer. It's a because. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, which means when it was first stated by Jesus, the kingdom hadn't come. But as the disciples are operating in the book of Acts, the kingdom has come. But in theology, we know that things, things happen, and, and we say it this way because we don't know how else to say it, Already, but not yet. So the kingdom started, but it's not consummated. If you want to see what it looks like when it's consummated, read Psalm 72. So we're in the kingdom, and we're praying, and we're given a reason. We're, Jesus is giving a reason for uh, why, we pray this, why we pray this way. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, now, you can just see that this bounces right back up to the beginning of the prayer. Thine is the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Now, uh, we don't have time to look this up, but you realize from the psalm we read today, Jesus, I mean, God reigns. And he's been king of this kingdom forever, but that's not what we're talking about here. Here we're talking about what Christmas is about. Christmas is is about the birth of the incarnate God who is a child born, but a son given. That is, the Davidic covenant is now being answered in Jesus Christ. The Davidic covenant promised that David would have one sitting on the throne and it would be a kingdom that lasts forever. And now on Christmas Day, back when Jesus was born, the Davidic covenant is being fulfilled. It's not done yet. It is still being fulfilled. Jesus is up in heaven, and he's seated on his Davidic throne next to the Father. He's king over his kingdom, but everything in his kingdom is not right yet. It's not all subject to him yet, but that's what he's going to do. He's going to Get it subject, get it subject, get it subject. Now remember, he's the last Adam, the second Adam. The first Adam failed. The first Adam came with conditions that were pristine, good. And the first Adam and his wife sinned, and they lost it all. Thrown out of the garden, thrown out from access to God. And they were the ones who were supposed to take this sanctuary and through population, through human family, push it all over the globe so the whole globe is full of people who are righteous and just and true and worship God alone. They failed. Now Jesus has come, and now what he's doing is he's sitting in heaven and he's got little outposts like McKinney Bible Church full of people who adore him. And what are we doing? Through him and his spirit, we're pushing, pushing, pushing the kingdom out, pushing, 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 and we will make progress. That's the promise. He's subduing everything under his feet. And 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel passage, right at the beginning, has the basic gospel, but the basic gospel expands out into this full gospel where Jesus, the Davidic king, subjects everything in his kingdom to himself. And the last enemy he has to subject to himself is death. And he gets everything where he wants it, and then, boom, resurrection takes place, and the kingdom is finished. And when he finishes the kingdom, when it's all perfect, everything is right, then what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is he takes this kingdom and he hands it to his father. And he says, here's father, you sent me into the world to do this, and here it is. It's all done. And that's what we want. That's what Christmas is about. It's not just about a baby. It's about a king. And it's not just about a king of a small kingdom. 
It's about a king that's going to rule everything. It's about a king that's in charge. And so, for thine is the kingdom. Well, thine, Jesus gets it already. Then he gives it to his father. Thine is the kingdom. And the power, which is, you know, one of the basic words in the New Testament for power. And you all know that word. It's dynamite. It's powerful. He's powerful. Thine is the kingdom. In other words, everything we're asking for the kingdom's sake, this is what you can accomplish. It's your kingdom. It's your power. And, of course, when you have a kingdom and you've got it all set up just right, everything's the way it's supposed to be, and you're sitting on your throne, what do you have? Glory. You have glory. Look, he's the kind of king that look at all he did. We were resistant troublesome, and look what he's done. That's glory. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And the last word in our time is up. Funny how that worked. Is amen. The word MBC does not know. Say it with me. Amen. Now say it louder. Amen. Okay, so now, when somebody prays and they're done, we're going to say Amen. Okay, this is a word that means firm, believable, solid. It's a word that comes from the Old Testament. It's found in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, where God is called the God, amen. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 16, when Paul is saying, you know, come on, brothers and sisters, if you're all praying in tongues, how can the one who doesn't understand the tongue say the amen? Because, hey, see, we're training. Because this is a corporate prayer. And when we meet, we're a corporate gathering. And when someone prays, it's our prayer. Amen? amen. Let's stand. Pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.